you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. Uh, so here we are. Uh, it, it is Pentecost Sunday and in the cycle of the church calendar. So if you'll look at that stained glass there back in the corner, uh, that one all the way back, that's, that's the day of Pentecost stained glass, which actually looks pretty sweet right now because the sun's like pretty perfect uh, for that. So I, you might as well go check that out a little bit later as well. A uh, great way to commemorate it. Personally, over the last, I don't know, four or five years maybe uh, of my life, my appreciation for Pentecost Sunday uh, and more fully uh, a love for the Holy Spirit, it's, it's grown exponentially. Um, pneumatology, which is the study of the Holy Spirit, uh, has been a, a focus of my doctoral work over the last four or five years. And so I've read thousands and thousands of pages, written papers, had discussions, sat in lectures, where everybody and everything we've written and everything we've talked about, we've sat there trying to make sense of the work of the Holy Spirit in the world. And we have not yet solved it. <laughs> it is still this mystery to be solved. And I think that's one reason I love Pentecost Sunday is there's this reminder that no matter how much we study, no matter how much we learn, no matter how much we experience, there's something mysterious about the Spirit of God. And so in an attempt to steward the mystery of the Spirit, we're going to just make our way through the passage in Acts 2, 1 through 21. We're going to kind of join in uh, if if you will, in the experience. I'm, I'm not gonna try to explain the Spirit of God to us today. Uh, not that I even could, but I'm not gonna try. Instead, it's gonna be an invitation to experience the Spirit of God. And to be quite honest, that's always what we're inviting ourselves into when we gather in such a way as this. We're acknowledging that God's Spirit is already among us and with us. We're not like trying to do something to stir it up, which we'll find is true of these followers of Jesus in this story as well. So before we make our way through the passage and see what we might experience, let's pray to the Spirit of God who's already here with us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are a God who is with us. And on this Pentecost Sunday, there's this unique emphasis on the role of your Spirit filling us, dwelling upon us, falling upon all of humanity. And so God, whatever that might mean for our lives some 2,000 years later, would you awaken us to the freshness of your spirit in our lives and in the lives of one another and in our community? Would you stir our hearts? Would you open up our minds? Would you give us eyes to see you and ears to hear from you? as we desire to experience your spirit among us today. Pray for myself, Lord, that, that your spirit would be in me and speaking through me and that I wouldn't say things that aren't for you and from you. And if I do, God, pray that we'd forget them and that you would be the one who gets the glory. So we love you and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, Acts 2, verse 1 reads like this. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Why were they doing this? 
Why were they meeting in one place, right? So Pentecost means 50, right? It's like 50 days from Passover. We've gotten to this point where Jesus has been crucified. He's resurrected. At this point in time, Jesus has also revealed himself to some of his followers, and now he's ascended to be with the Father, which we didn't get to figure that out either, so we haven't explained ascension. Uh, at some point in time, we'll tackle that mystery as well. And so here they are, the followers of Jesus gathered in a room, waiting. There's something about this, right? We've seen this multiple times after Jesus has been crucified. The followers are always gathered in these locked rooms, like, waiting which is fitting, Jesus told them to do that, and so they're getting really good at it. And they're just gathered together in this room. And I want to invite us to imagine what it would have been like to be in that room. Like literally, let yourself imagine this story all over again today. You're gathered with these people. What has transpired to get us to this moment that Luke's about to unfurl for us, right? After three years with Jesus, and the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension, there's followers gathered in this room right now who are still hoping that Jesus' power will help them overthrow the Romans. They're still hoping that the oppressor will be taken down by the power of Jesus. They, or we maybe, just can't seem to imagine any power but empire. Any power but violence or control or possession. And Jesus assured them if they just wait, they'll receive power. But I'm not sure that word means what they or we maybe think it means. So here they are, completely unprepared for the power that is about to revolutionize their world. They have no idea what is about to happen. And so what happens next, Willie Jennings calls the revolution of the intimate. And the story goes like this. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Again, imagine this happening. Imagine you are one of those followers who's been through this three-year journey with Jesus. You've experienced the trauma of the crucifixion, the celebration of the resurrection, the confusing things where like Jesus is cooking fish or you're touching his side or he's going through walls and now you're in this room together and you're kind of sparked a little bit to the miraculous, to the suddenly happening in your life. But you're just gathered with a group of people praying and this unfolds. Something like, right? Notice everything's a simile here, right? We're trying to compare something that we don't know how to explain. Something like a mighty windstorm ushers itself through the room. Something like fire is on top of every person present there. But not something like language is being spoken. The actual languages that the Spirit is giving them are being spoken, filled with the Spirit. Men and women both are proclaiming the gospel in Aramaic, but Jews, actually, from every nation under heaven are hearing the message in their own languages. 
That's mind-boggling to think about. As Jennings notes in his commentary on Acts, he says this is God's doing. No one helped. No one assisted. Everyone only tarried. All the people were doing was waiting. The waiting in prayer has not come to an end. It's only moved forward into an action fully of God. I love that picture, right? They're waiting in prayer. They're like, I hope this all means something and something will happen. And now their prayer moves forward into action fully of God. That's what the book of Acts unfolds for us. But Luke, being the master storyteller that he is, the author of Acts, he slows things down. Gets into the details. So just take pleasure in visualizing this diverse crowd that's hearing the gospel and let it reinforce the power of the miracle. The story goes like this. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, so apparently the wind that busted through the room, other people outside of the room could hear. Everyone came running. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Like, I don't know if you guys in your neighborhood, if like something catches on fire, this happens in my neighborhood all the time, this is why, then the whole neighborhood pops up and they're just like, what is that thing? We heard it, we saw it, we felt it, like something's going on. It's usually just a tire fire, but still, Right? We're like, what's happening? There's something about this that draws this whole crowd and they flood to it. And then when they get there, they hear this in their own language and they're completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are from Galilee and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. And here's what's wild that Luke does. He tells us where they're all from. He's like, here we are. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. Like This is a pretty diverse crowd. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They ask each other. Which is like literally all you can do when that happens. What can this mean? I love the addition though. It's a subtle little detail in there after all of these people are present from all of these different places. The thing that they hear in their own language is all of the wonderful things that God has done. And that's what's got them going, hold on. What can all of this mean? The spirit in this moment is, is creating a new act of joining and participation not just from the followers of Jesus who were gathered in that room praying together, but everybody's now joining in and participating. It's a collective unfolding. The miracle of Pentecost, right, is less in the hearing and much more in the speaking. Disciples speaking in the mother tongues of others, not by their own design, but by the Spirit's desire. It's not like each person was like, ooh, I've got Phrygia, 
you know, and then they start speaking that language or whatever it is, right? The Spirit's just giving it to them, and they're sharing it. And this casts a vision now for a diverse unity. The Spirit here does not unify humankind as if ethnicity did not matter. The diverse representation is really important. Instead, throughout the book of Acts, in fact, they celebrate ethnic diversity and they occasionally pause to tease it out. Acts 6 is a really good place to look at that. But here at Pentecost, one common ethnicity unites most of the crowd. Right there, Judeans are converts to Judean, Judean identity. Yet ethnicity isn't something that's static here. It's a wide-ranging spectrum. And so even more compelling to the reality that at the moment of Pentecost, the diversity of people is celebrated, it also, for our own reflection, reminds us that it didn't happen in isolation. There were not just a bunch of solo people off by themselves, praying, waiting, hoping for God to do something. It happens within humanity's connection to one another as they humbly sought the presence of God and had no idea what God would unfold in their midst. The Spirit again creates joining. That's the invitation that the Spirit has always issued to us, to join. The followers of Jesus are now being connected in a way that joins them to people in the most intimate space. And Jennings says it like this, that here we find this is a love that cannot be tamed, controlled, or planned. And once unleashed, it will drive the disciples forward into the world and drive a question into their lives. Where is the Holy Spirit taking us and into whose lives? Where is the Holy Spirit taking us and into whose lives? But for real, let's ask the Spirit that question. So just, just pause for a minute and ask the question, Holy Spirit, where are you taking us and into whose lives? Let's just be still for a moment. Keep those promptings or whatever it is you're hearing to the forefront of your mind. We'll visit them here and again in a second. Listen to Jennings, though, once more. He says, the same spirit is the one that was there from the beginning, hovering, brooding in the joy of creation of the universe and of each one of us. This is the same spirit who knows us together and separately in our most intimate places who has announced the divine intention through the Son to reach into our lives and make each life a sight of speaking glory. But this will require bodies that reach across massive and real boundaries, cultural, religious, ethnic. That's what's transpiring at Pentecost. It's common to read Pentecost over and against the story of Babel 
in Genesis 11. The Tower of Babel, if you're familiar with that, right? God's people are told to like get out and go, do the thing, spread out, multiply, that, you know, be fruitful, bless people, that sort of thing. And they stop and they try to build a tower to heaven. Tried to build something really big just for themselves. And God forces the scattering of the people again by confusing their language. By scattering people and their languages, God's essentially inventing something like ethnicity, which isn't a punishment, but is instead a safer context for human flourishing. The ability of God to diversify and pull forth. And lots of Christians hope to transcend ethnic division by erasing ethnicity. You'll hear things like people might say, I don't see color, some will say. But Acts sees in color and values ethnic difference throughout the entirety of the book. Pastor Derwin Gray from Charlotte, he says, it's not color blind, it's color blessed. He's always got real good one-liners. Like that's, that's the image that Acts is painting out. Acts imagines unity that actually embraces diversity rather than bleaching it out. The miracle of Pentecost is not just one language brings everyone together. One kind of thing brings everyone together. It's not that everyone has to learn English Aramaic, right? It's that all the people hear the gospel in their own languages, their own experience, the own way their language might even communicate it to them. And yet again, the way Luke tells this story is to get us into some real fun details. Here's how he keeps going. Right after they all go, what could this mean? Others in the crowd ridiculed them saying, They're just drunk, that's all. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. Okay, before we hear the words from the prophet Joel, because none, none of you got the enjoyment out of that that I get out of it. When I, that's, that's hilarious stuff right there. Like these are details in the story just like to experience it again, right? Because how do you explain what's happening? Apparently they'd never heard of tailgating, so they can't imagine that anybody had a drink at nine, right? They're like, that, that's, no, that's, not a, that's not an option, They're literally trying to figure this thing out any way they can explain it, right? And who stands up to explain it? Peter. Do you remember what Peter was up to like 40 days ago? Right? Just just having the hardest time to even speak up on behalf of Jesus. Certainly Jesus had already shown up to Peter at this point in time and had reinstated in him that he is loved and he's the rock that he's going to build this church on and all of that. But it's still like in 40 days, you're like, yeah, that's me. And he's really feeling it. I doubt it. So we get Peter. 
And how the heck in that moment, at that time, when all of this is happening, does he go, ah, Joel, that's right. This is definitely from Joel. Like, what do you, I mean, the spirit, is what, that's the answer in all of this, right? But I still think it's a hilarious detail that Peter's like, no, no, I got this, guys. Everybody stand up here. Like, we got this. So what you're hearing and experiencing right now, Joel talked about a long time ago. And they're all like, okay, Joel? Like, right? Like, and then it gets profound. There's all this hilarity happening here. And then it gets profound. And he doesn't even come up with his own words. He doesn't need to. Because this is what the Spirit's been up to all along. Since the Spirit hovered over creation and said, this is who you will be and this is how it will transpire. And so Peter, with probably no Bible nearby, just from the good old memory, says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my slaves, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Can you feel that being there? All of you streaming out of this room you'd just been waiting in, praying, hoping for some power. Here comes the Spirit like a windstorm into the room. Everybody starts talking. It looks like their heads are on fire. People come running because they hear it. Peter steps up and reads these words. Again, Jennings says it best. He says, the famous Joel passage noted here could never be fully captured with our conceptions of egalitarianism. It proclaims a new world order energized by the movement of the Holy Spirit, breaking through on all flesh and destroying social orders that find slavery useful, stable, capable of making fundamental differences of identity between would-be masters and would-be slaves. These slaves, men and women, prophesy. Who would have ever thought that those would be the people that God's spirit would speak through? They have no paradigm for this. God speaks through them and they're to be obeyed. The new world order begins with collapse, Jennings says. God shakes foundations, especially ones that wrongly claim divine imprint. Reflect on that for a moment. The movement of the Holy Spirit initiates a new world order that shakes the foundations of anything that wrongly claims the divine. Holy Spirit then, shake the foundation of those protecting their guns in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, shake the foundation of white supremacy. Shake the foundation of those holding rent over people's heads. 
Shake the foundation of those battling for bills that care for the unborn but overlook the protection of women and the lived future of the unborn. Shake the foundation of wealth hoarding and a scarcity mindset. Shake the foundation of violence against our BIPOC friends and neighbors. Shake the foundation of violence against our LBGTQ neighbors. Holy Spirit, shake the foundation of anything and everything that claims your power for their gain and comfort. That's what the Holy Spirit comes to do. And so instead, this power of the Holy Spirit is God's power. A power that we will know is not ours. A power that is God's pure gift to us. It's a Holy Spirit. Unleash a power that is for us to give away for the sake of another. May it be the kind of power that is impossible to stop and completely dumbfounding to witness. The kind that doesn't require ego, but surrender. The kind of power that will not possess, but will partner. The kind of power that will not take, but give, that will not control, but liberate. May we receive that Holy Spirit power to be witnesses, as Acts 1 tells us we will be, who will lay down our lives for others. Because this is the only way to demonstrate what Jesus is like to a world that is so weary of power that keeps on taking. It is so grievous when people who claim to have this spirit-filled power act just like every other empire. And so Holy Spirit, we need another Pentecost where we receive the greatest gift of all, the power of God's love. And that is our motivation to live in this world. So pause again for a second and ask the Holy Spirit to fill us with this power. All of this from the moment at Pentecost then takes this Jesus-focused Christological turn. And Jenny says it like this. Jesus of Nazareth is the history foretold by Joel. We must not lose sight of the storyteller at work here because this will become the legacy for the many who will follow Peter like we talked about. He presents the life of Jesus as reachable, attainable, and as one who has been among us. This Jesus was murdered, and in his journey towards death, Peter declares the sameness of Jesus with all human beings. Like us, he faced the power of empire and death, but now he has risen from the dead. Who would believe such a remarkable word coming from such unremarkable witnesses? There would be no chance of success, meaning we probably wouldn't be here right now talking about this unless the spirit of the living God breathed on their witness. There's no such chance for us either without the spirit breathing on us. Witnesses of what God has done, hopeful for what God will do. The spirit's work is what will do that. 
what God has always spoken to Israel. Now God speaks even more loudly in the voices of the many present at Pentecost to the many present at Pentecost. Join them. So God's always been saying, join together. Now our love of the neighbor will take on spirit-led dimensions. It will be love that builds directly out of the resurrected body of Jesus. It will be love, as Karl Barth says, that goes into the far country. Meaning you've got to go beyond where you've always been if you're following the Spirit. Will we follow? Will we follow to people and places at the edge of what we've known? Will we extend love beyond ourselves into those very places? Will we, as we heard earlier, embody a love that cannot be tamed, controlled, or planned? And once unleashed, it will drive us forward into the world and drive a question into our lives. Where is the Holy Spirit taking us and into whose lives? Acts chapter 2 comes to a close by describing this community of people, often used in evangelical church spaces to name the ideal church community. We say, we will be an Acts 2 church. We will share everything. We will make sure no one is in need. We'll wait on the miracles of God. We will eat together and pray together and study the teachings of the apostles. And we're all like, yeah, we will. That we don't. It's really hard. This type of embodied way of living that the Spirit is initiating in these people literally requires us to redistribute the way we love. Like whatever it is you have to offer, you bring into the community of people. And I'm not totally sure how you always make that happen because that gets messy. Thus the mystery of the Spirit of God. That's the embodiment we're trying to follow. And it requires a lot of work, and we already know that. Because there's this picture in Acts 2 that is like this reconciled community of people for this brief moment in time, right? And Brenda Salter McNeil talks about reconciliation like this. She says it's an ongoing spiritual process involving forgiveness, repentance, and justice that restores broken relationships and systems to reflect God's original intention for all creation to flourish. And I'm like, okay, that's the commitment then. The Spirit of God will lead us in a way in which collectively together and those who are a part of us who are not in this room now in which we forgive and grant forgiveness, we repent and change our way, we bring justice where injustice is living, and restore broken relationships and systems to reflect God's original intention for all creation to flourish, and guess what? We won't ever arrive. Riveting, huh? Sign me up. We'll just keep trying again and again. And it'll be this ongoing cycle of forgiveness and repentance and justice. And that's why it is so hard to be the ideal Acts 2 community because it's painful. It requires something of us. 
We just want to go back to the power that possesses and controls, that lords it over other people. That's no way to live. That's not the kingdom, and that's not what the Spirit has initiated. And I don't know where that means we're going and whose lives that means we're joining, but the Spirit does, and I believe that the Spirit will speak that to us. It's kind of crazy. But we're going to give God the last word. So I just want us to sit in the stillness for a moment and again say, Holy Spirit, where are you taking us and into whose lives? And then we'll see what God said. So let's do that for a moment. As we're listening to the Spirit, there's like this point in time where you're all like waiting for me to pray. And then the band will come up and then we'll sing a song. And then we'll leave and we'll take with us these things that we asked God to communicate to us. And I think I want to upset that rhythm today. I think there's something that I'm challenged by in my own discernment and seeking of the Spirit that says, we can't just go, yeah, one guy came up there and said, that's a good idea, and then just like keep doing what the one guy said. It's like what gets everybody in trouble anyway, they keep listening to the one guy. <laughs> Literally, the one guy. So what would it look like to literally, as a community, discern what the Spirit's speaking to us. That doesn't mean like we're making like crazy polity decisions right now and you know, like I'm not talking about if we're hiring somebody new or we're like talking about how we live this life day in and day out. And so I just wanna pose the question. It's, it's probably weird and uncomfortable on some level and then on other levels, somebody's probably like, I've been waiting to say something for a long time. But the question is just where, where have we sensed the Spirit of God moving amongst us today? As you ask the question multiple times, where's the Holy Spirit taking us and into whose lives? What are you hearing? Because that's what we're hearing, right? We're not just individual blobs that then go off in isolation hoping the Spirit does more of what the Spirit's to do. The whole image of Pentecost is that there's a bunch of people gathered together trying to seek out what God might have them to do. And so again, awkwardly, I ask, where have we sensed the Spirit of God moving amongst us today? I guess raise your hand or something if you want to share or you can just start talking too.
I've mentioned this before, but I used to teach elementary ed, and I'd just wait like for hours. Okay. Uh huh. Absolutely. Amen. Thanks. I affirm that. That's a common thing I hear among people who make up our community. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. So she's saying a little bit of, of even just hearing like how to be there actually in her own life, present to her own self, and maybe not everybody heard it for that matter. Um, and then that being a beginning point to how to be there in the lives of others. I think for myself, and I'm probably not speaking only for myself here in this community too, it's, it's very challenging in a good way to hear these words about the Holy Spirit and interacting with the Holy Spirit in, in other places outside of these four walls. But it's also hard to not Yeah. Be loving to coworkers and um, and don't attach any baggage to that. Amen. That's a that's a good wrestle. How how to how to live and love people when taking conversion off the the table, I think is one thing that we are absolutely committed to undoing and untangling in our community. So that's that's astute. Uh, we'll try that together. Totally. And the Holy Spirit is literally pneuma or breath. So, yeah. Yeah. How do we breathe together as a community? How do we create space to discern together as a community and then name, name the things um, and try to figure them out together? That's good. And actually, yeah. one of the things I you talked about discernment, and that's one of the characteristics of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. being able to experience that. And I think even when as, as a body, 
when we are able to discern things, it's a lot of times confirmation of maybe one another. Yeah. A member of the body is also absolutely already discerning or feeling in their own spirit. Yep. And um, and that's a lot of times how I'm able to see presently that the Holy Spirit is in whatever form. Yeah, that's good. That's Don's talking about just discerning together as a as a community, and if often when you name something or speak something out loud, which we're already doing, it's either giving language to or affirming something that somebody else is is hearing or thinking through, and there's like, okay, then that's that's something about the spirit of God uh, in that place. And I think too, like even just to speak over the top of that a tiny bit, it's not like has to be some like crazy out there thing. It could literally be like, I don't know, how do I show up to work and like not think I gotta love everybody into my version of Christianity today, you know, it can be can be pretty practical too. It's good. Anybody else want to share anything that they're hearing? Or however I ask that question. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I don't fit into, so like try, I've been really trying to like hone that and just pay attention to mm-hmm. that. And I just sense that that's something that really wants us to pay attention to. Yeah, absolutely. Just this this sensing of, of the the work beyond even our own familiar locales. I think that's the what the literally what the spirit is always doing, stretching us beyond that. So then Aaron's just talking about the ways in which we, we move to those places of people who exist in, in marginalized spaces and we, we join, I think would probably be a, a, a good word, which is literally like the overriding theme, I feel like, of Pentecost and a little bit of what we've been talking about too. And then we learn and we then we go together and then we follow the lead of those who exist in those spaces. Um, and I think that's a very communal act as, as well. We have to do that communally. Again, I, guess, I, don't, I don't know how long we're supposed to go for this because I wasn't even sure I was going to do it. Um, so, but I don't, don't want to shut it down in case somebody else is something stern. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, um, but just being able to open myself up, my home up, my family up, and kind of God nudging me more and more to do that. And I think I, over the years, have really had a heart, in, and I've been blessed by found family hmm. for people who maybe don't have their own family leader around because they're not by them locally, or they're just not safe. Yeah. Um, and I know, you know, we we have found family here that have loved us and our kids so well, um, and that I just feel like God's like, okay, it's time for that family to get bigger. 
to mm-hmm. feel like they could be saved by being authentic yeah. um, is something that I feel like God has been really pushing me to do. But it is, it's scary to open that up more because I feel very protective of mm-hmm. just the space in my, my own family. And so yeah. I feel like God's nudging me that it is safe and good to open that up more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's, I like that. Yeah, just this idea of, of being a new family too. It's kind of a thing that Jesus was was talking about it as well. And the combination of opening up our, our own selves or our own personal spaces for those who maybe don't have a safe space. I think there's also then the reverse of that is then what's it like to enter into? What's it like to cross the threshold of you know, somebody else's space into that space. And I think that is the, the work of our community in a lot of ways as, as well. I think you named very accurately uh, a hope for, for who we are that our safe spaces would begin to open up and provide safe spaces for another who might not have it, which I think that aligns a lot with what Aaron was saying as well. Thanks for sharing. Anybody else want to share? Or should we sing a song? All right, band, come on up. I'll pray, and we'll, we'll sing a song together. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you are here. You are moving, speaking, engaging with us, drawing us toward one another and towards you. And I just hold up all the things that we're hearing as a community to you. And if there's things you want us to know, Spirit, would you let us know those things? If there's things you want us to do, Spirit, would you let us do those things and would we continue to do them in the posture of Jesus? Would we live them in the posture of Jesus? Would the power that is in us through your spirit, God, be the power that is love? Love that is you, God. The image of embrace, of holding one another, of being with, of joining Let that define us and show us the ways to go. Thank you for each one of the people who are in this room. Each person who's a part of the Kaleo family who's not here. Continue to unify our hearts and our minds and our actions towards the way of being people who practice the ways of Jesus together. To be the glory, God, we love you. In the name we pray. For more resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.